Welcome to the Curve Thought Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Rathlamfo. So today we're going to be talking about nuance in particular, or rather the lack thereof, as seems to characterize the majority of our public discourse nowadays. It seems that like it used to be the case that everybody had a, pre, a predisposed belief, right? You, the lens that which you view the world came with a particular subset of pre-existing beliefs and through that lens you find information within the world in order to justify that belief uh, creating a small feedback loop um, strengthens the belief which strengthens the lens with which which you view the world Um, that lens then finds further corroborating evidence for the underlying belief and so on and so forth so a good example of this would be say for example when i used to be a christian um, my pre-existing belief, pre-existing notion was the fact that God exists and handles everything that happens in the world and God is ultimately good. Therefore, anything that I viewed as good through that lens would further go to re-justifying the underlying belief that God certainly is good in terms of what he does, um, which re-strengthens the lens and I look, I would look for more confirming evidence of the fact that God is good, right? Now, so far so good. All of us do this to to some degree. Um, it's basically impossible to escape as a human being having that predilection towards your own preconceived notions. But nowadays, something's changed. And the change that I've noticed is the fact that it seems people don't even need to go the additional step of trying to find evidence for why they believe what they believe. Nowadays, it seems that the general track or the accepted line of reasoning is that you come into a situation already holding a belief, but you don't even need anything to confirm that belief. You don't look for effects. You don't look for confirming evidence. You don't look for a way for your belief to make sense. You already think it makes sense and you're done. And everybody who disagrees with you is either evil, uninformed, or some combination of the two. Um, A good example of this will be, (laughs) consider Zuma defenders in our country right now. Um, Most people accept to some reasonable degree that the man is corrupt, the man has to go, the man is not served at the behest and will of the people. However, people who still support and defend the president will find themselves in a situation where they will not even consider any good reasons for why they should continue to supporting the man in the face of, you know, mountains of disconfirming evidence. But they simply say, no, nah, everything that comes on the other side is effectively propaganda um, cooked up in some white man's laboratory or some, some white man's boardroom, rather in order to try and discredit the president and capture the ANC or the state in that fashion. And you'll find that people who hold this line of reasoning cannot, literally cannot bring up any actual evidence towards this, right? Like, and you can go and look, people say this ad nauseum, all the Zuma defenders will ardently say that all the books, journalistic articles, emails, etc., implicating the president in particular wrongdoing doesn't really matter because they view it as 
conspiracy and propaganda. Now, I know a lot of you will be thinking that, well, of course people do this, but it's not necessarily a new phenomenon. This isn't something that simply cropped out of nowhere. People have been hearkening to the conspiracy defense for literally centuries now. Uh, so what makes it different in this particular case? And I think what makes it different in this particular case is that it's not just this case. It's not just Zuma defenders behaving this way. It's basically everyone. Like, for instance, there was a video I was watching. Uh, I'm not sure if many of you know a guy, a provo an internet provocateur known as Milo Yiannopoulos. Truly, genuinely awful human being. But there was like a protest against Milo Yiannopoulos at... I think it was the University of Berkeley um, in America. And whilst he was there, well, whilst the people were there, you know, protesting, trying to get Milo deplatformed, making sure that he doesn't speak at the event, um, some enterprising alt-right dude decided to interview these protesters, right? So he walks around with his camera, interviewing people, asking them, yo, why are you here? Why are you stridently against this Milo dude? What's your beef? What's your issue? And what was really interesting to note was the fact that with the exception of maybe six people that he came across, the vast majority of people that he interviewed and said, what, what did Milo say that you have a problem with? What did he say that put you in this position of direct opposition to him? What did he do that in order to, to justify the narrative you're bringing against him? And the most of them couldn't actually come out with concrete facts. Like the line was always the same. Like, no, he's a, he's a homophobe, which was kind of weird given he's gay. Not a defense of Milo, by the way, guys. I will never defend that guy. But people say he's a homophobe, he's a racist, he's transphobic. Uh, and he's just overall a horribly bigoted person. Uh, all of which are true, by the way. If It'll take you 25 seconds of Google to figure this out. But... When actually pressed on the matter as to what did he say and, and or do that inspired in you a reaction to the degree where you were willing to come out of your day and protest this man, you were willing to say, okay, enough is enough. This man must be stopped at all costs. And not mo most of them couldn't actually find justification for their predisposed belief. Um, Obviously, this this is happening with Donald Trump to a very large degree. But, and, you know, just in general, the world right now doesn't seem to exist in a sphere of facts. It seems to, the complaints about us being post-factual are ringing more and more true on a near daily basis. Um, consider this, right? If you're in a general Facebook group or if you're on a WhatsApp group or whatever, and somebody has a particular view, or they have a particular view as expressed and their recommendation for why they hold that view is some article that they read somewhere, right? Which, you know, most of the time they had the view in advance, the article just helps uh, corroborate it, which is fine. You know, that's kind of what we want is people searching for justifications for their views. But then somebody will post the article, post the, a YouTube video or a link or whatever, describing in some detail a belief that they have. And if you disagree with it and you say, no, I don't agree necessarily with what's being painted out here, let's have a discussion. Let's actually debate why you think the way you think. Most times nowadays, that's not actually met with anything concrete. People seem somewhat allergic to trying to actually have open conversations in that way. Um, 
or to try and have conversations that might have a reliable chance of changing their mind on any given subject. Uh, this seems to be anathema in 2017 discourse. Nobody wants to engage in a conversation where the likelihood of them changing their mind uh, is even approaches 50%. People are like, nah, we're not going to do that. We're not going to try and engage you on these points. Um, I act, and I challenge all of you to actually think about this. Think about the last time that you were in conversation with somebody. They express a view. You said, I don't necessarily think that view is true. And then they responded with, well, okay, the reason why this view is actually valid is because there are these set of facts derived from this particular study that I read, um, which is in turn, um, that particular study references another data set, which is legitimate in some concrete way. No, most people just say, oh, I heard about it somewhere, or, you know, I was listening to this thing. Um, or even better yet, even if people do actually engage with evidence, their predisposed blinders literally make them unable to see new evidence in, a new, in, in that particular light, even if there's nothing wrong with the evidence. So I'll give you an interesting example of how this can cut out in both directions regarding the same subject matter. Um, those of you that are South African will very much know about this new book called The President's Keepers, a fairly important book written by Jacques Powell detailing the various misdeeds of our president with regards to the security cluster and how he's gone out of his way to ensure that there is nobody left in the country that can actually adequately prosecute him, either driving out those competent enough to prosecute him or ensuring that those that are competent enough to prosecute him are completely loyal to him, so have no stomach to do so. Um, anyway, so this book exists. It comes out. It's a big seller. And it didn't really take long before the... And though the Zumaites started saying, nah, this is obviously post, this is, this is some post-colonial propaganda by white people trying to discredit the president. And an interesting way this played out, this was two days ago, I think. Um, I was at the bookstore in which I work at Exclusive Books in Centurion. And while I was there, this, there was one gentleman I was speaking to. And we were talking about the book and talking about the various allegations into the president. And there was a specific, he, he wanted a book about Zuma not written by a white man and i was like why does it really if the allegations against the man are true does it really matter the color of the skin of the person that compiled the evidence and in his view it mattered we discussed this for a while and then i asked them point blank i was like because he said at some point that uh, this is primarily propaganda and i said have you read the book and he said yes he actually had read the book and i said okay cool having read the book can you point to specific places within the book that lend credence to your argument that this is all propaganda? That lend credence to your belief, your predisposed belief, that it's not possible for a white man to have genuine gripes against a black leader that have nothing to do with racial animus? Can you point to an example of this? And he was unable to, and he got a little bit huffy with me, you know, and he left. Um, nary a word said afterwards. But that really, that interaction really struck me because the man was full of passion, full of vigor, very spirited discussion up until the point where I asked, can you justify any of what you're saying? And then the wind sort of evaporates from the man's sails and he has to leave. Um, and then later that very same day, there's another woman that I was speaking to. Now, she was much more excited about this book. She's like, yes, she wants President's Keepers. She wants to get involved. She wants to know 
what's happening um and i said okay great uh, but at the time we didn't necessarily have stock of the book so i inquired okay i can interest you in a couple of other books that have you know pretty revelatory stances on the president pretty damning conclusions and damning findings against them um in the face of the evidence that's there but other books exist right now uh, we were speaking about the book called a simple man by ronnie castles the ex ex anc or struggle veteran who used to head up our intelligence services as intelligence minister i believe up until 2007 2008 around that time uh, anyway, so I was telling her that having read the majority of both the books, I find that the more engaging narrative is the Simple Man one, the one written by Ronnie Castles. And I think that that book, even though it might be oh, devoid is the wrong word, it might lack the overwhelming mountain of evidence available in the President's Keepers, I think it does a better job of explaining why this person is terrible for our democracy. Um, apart from the simple fact of the matter at hand of the crimes he's committed and that the way he's finessed, finessed us and the way he's destroyed our institutions, but simply on the nature of the man in and of himself, why he's terrible for the democracy. So I was saying to her, no, I actually think that if you're, it probably might be better to first read A Simple Man and then read A President's Keepers and then you can conclude for yourself in a much more like the actions that take place in the latter book will make a lot more sense with the insights gained from the former. And then she said, nah, no, that's not, that can't possibly be true given that the president's keepers, this is, this, this is the book. This is what, where all the truth is, right? There's nothing more true than this, I think is what she said, um, paraphrasing obviously, but that's more or less the gist of what she said, very close to verbatim. She said that this is the most true book. So I said to her, no, there is truth in both books, easily corroboratable evidence in both books, um, one doesn't necessarily meet a higher standard of evidence than the other simply because, you know, one is more heavily focused on the security cluster, doesn't change anything in that regard. And she said, no, that can't possibly be true. This, she knows that the President's Keepers contains, in terms of its factual prowess, more information that's relevant than a simple man. So then I asked her point blank, have you read either of the books? And she said, no. And... What struck me was when she said no, in my mind, that should have immediately been the moment where she says, oh, I see what you mean. I'll have to read the books first, see what, see what they're about, try and get an understanding of what's going on in the background. But instead, she just doubled down and said, nah, this, I haven't read either of them, but I know that this one is more true than the other one. And she also left there after. So this is the exact same book, right? being viewed in two wildly different ways by different people. And the common, the common thread between the different views is the lack of nuanced reasoning about why that view was held. Nobody could, no one was actually willing to sit down and say, okay, I hold these views because, because of these reasons and actually extrapolate from that, not even from necessarily from first principles, but just explain their thought process as to why they got to where they got to, right? Now, this is obviously crazy when it comes to these particular books, but it happens, you know, with different products. But what it it's more and more prevalent that it just happens in terms of what we believe in terms of discourse. Pick any given issue that's contentious in the moment in our country. So, free higher education or a higher minimum wage 
or social grants as a necessity um, in post-apartheid South Africa. Pick an issue, and I guarantee the vast majority of people that have extremely powerful views on the subject won't actually be in contact with either the reality of the situation or even just pure, new, pure statistics or pure numbers or just valid reasons beyond talking points. Because now we seem to exist in a world where if you don't have a soundbite, you can't necessarily be taken as being credible. If you don't have a soundbite, you don't have a scandal, you don't have something spicy that I can tweet about, suddenly you're not a serious person. You're not a serious interlocutor. And we don't have to regard your views as being real, even though most of the people that have either the soundbites, the scandal, or the, the Twitter punch tend not to actually be in contact with the facts, which is weird. So... This is more or less, it's a small complaint episode, I suppose, but it's an attempt to try and get us to honestly and earnestly ask ourselves why we believe what we believe. And ask yourself how often, like, you should probe how often you do this. Probe yourself, how often do you actually know why you believe in a particular way? So an example from my side is during the Black Monday protests um, from Afriforum members, regarding farm murders uh, all across the country. I remember speaking to a very close friend of mine who I'll be having on the podcast sometime soon. But we were speaking about this. He's an Afrikaans man, by the way. And one of the things that I, I said to him, because we were arguing back and forth about this, um, and we were speaking about the numbers, because he was saying that for the longest time, he'd always believed how, that the amount of farm murders was approaching, I think he mentioned something like the hundred thousands or something. Not sure if you meant hundred thousands of millions, but the actual number of farm murders, just if, if anybody's curious, since 1990 is 1,652, I think, and, and counting, obviously. But, and he thought the number was way higher. And when you discussed this and I showed him the actual numbers, he could not for the life of him understand why it was the case that he believed what he believed up until this point. Even though when he saw the numbers, he was instantly a disabuse of that notion. He was like, oh, obviously, that can't, I can't have been correct before, given that the facts at hand don't square with what I thought about them. And as we were speaking about this, I was saying to him, um, I also went hyperbolic in the opposite direction. Because I said to him that um, one of the reasons people are frustrated with these Afri Forum things, with the farmer, with Afri Forum making a, a big deal of the farm murders, not that they're not a big deal. Murder is a big deal, always, all the time. But one of the reasons why such a, people are frustrated about this is what, what I said to him was that I can't, I don't know if I've ever encountered an Afrikaans person dis and discuss crime and then they do not bring up farm murders, right? And he said to me, that can't possibly be true. And I said, nope, 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 that's 100% true. In my experience, every Afrikaans person I've talked to where crime comes up, somebody's going to mention farm murders. Uh, and at the time that I said it, I felt completely 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 validated and justified in that belief but moments after that conversation um after we parted ways i started really thinking about it i was like no he's right this can't possibly be true and in probing my own memory more deeply it became easily apparent that that wasn't true but if you'd asked me moments before i said that whether or not that's true i would have said yes of course that's true i, I know this for a fact given what I know about my own experience and how I've interacted with people regarding this set of facts. So this is, again, a situation in which 
you would not necessarily be think of yourself as being primed to believe a particular narrative over another. You would think yourself as always being in possession of the correct set of facts and reasoning more honestly than your people that disagree with you based on that um, available set of facts. But then once you probe what you actually think about a subject, you'll find that no, there are holes in what you think as well. The way we conceive of the world isn't as nuanced as we'd like to believe. And... And that there's always space for you to actually expand upon where your beliefs stemmed from and where they lead to. So the question that we always have to ask ourselves is, why do you believe what you believe? And moreover, would you be willing to change and amend your beliefs if the underlying reasons for them should change? So, for instance, if I'm a person who tends to believe that there was a crash in Roswell in America that aliens landed on our planet, and I've believed this for the entirety of my life, if I go to Roswell, will I change my mind? Because a depressingly small number of people, I think, would actually change their minds in that context, or at least right now. If you'd asked me a year ago, I'd have been, I would have been much more optimistic on this score. But right now, it feels like there's virtually no evidence that moves the general person away from their positions. Unless, unless catastrophe. Catastrophe seems to be the only reliable mechanism for shifting people's belief systems. But in the absence of that, just an individual person deciding to probe their beliefs adjust, amend, and change them as required based on the evidence alone seems to be a dying art. It seems like the mere ability to be nuanced is, is a craft that no longer is being taught. You know? Moreover, it seems like people are hostile to the idea of nuance. People are hostile to the idea of multifaceted answers or complex answers to problems that they have. And I think it has a lot to do with us as humans in terms of our psychology. We thrive off of having, ac not accurate knowledge, but we thrive off of the feeling of having knowledge. We thrive over mastering the unknown. We thrive in an environment where we feel that there are no open-ended questions, but fairly st strictly simple answers. Telling a person who asks a particular, think about it, like when you ask a question, Nothing is more depressing to hear as a preamble to the answer you desire than hearing it depends or it depends on how you frame it or let's look at it in a new way. Like people hate that shit with all their heart. They're like, oh, come on. I just wanted a simple, straight up and down answer. I didn't want you to come in here and complicate my life, forcing me to have to think about the various ways in which what you're saying might be, might be true in one context, but not true in another context. People want a straight up and down, yes, that's the case. So being human and having to grapple with the fact that we are not psychologically primed to handle the unknown very well, but also knowing that if you want to genuinely get to the truth of things, you're always accepting of some level of unknowns. There's a principle in science where people say science is actually not about finding out what's true. It's about finding out what's probable and what's not probable. Because technically anything is possible. So in principle, anything could be true. 
but not everything is highly probable. So the job of human beings in terms of our discovery of the world and navigating um, the world as we search for truth is figuring out what's more probable, what's more likely, and ruling out things that are less probable and less likely. Doing so obviously requires us to, at certain points, throw our hands up and declare that there are certain things we just cannot know. But on the balance of probabilities, one option is more likely than the other. But doing so, in terms of general conversation, usually has you derided as being a fence-sitter or lacking in conviction. Because people like strong, firm answers. There's a reason why authoritarians and populism in general, I think, is back on the upswing in the world. And I think it probably has to do with this fact, the fact that nuance is going out of the window. And without nuance, if, if you remove nuance from the table, right, and you just say, you strictly say that you would rather deal with a person who has more absolutist principles about how the world functions and about their, what they should be doing in the world, then you can understand why somebody would prefer Azuma over Mbeki, why somebody would prefer, <coughs> excuse me, a Trump over Obama. Because you want, that, you want somebody to stand up with certainty, conviction, and say, this is the way things are. What you really don't want is somebody saying, I think this is the way things are, but I actually don't know. I'll have to go and see. I'll have to go and find out. I'll have to go and check. And I might be wrong. And if I'm wrong, I'm going to have to change basically everything about how I view the world. That's, to most people, a abhorrent position to take. Because it means that now I have to do, as an individual, the work of literally changing who I am based on what I believe. And for most people, the idea of not being in permanent contact with who they feel they are based on those sets of beliefs is worse than death. Some people would literally rather die than change their minds. I want, that's, where, that's, that's where we are kind of in the universe around us, in the world around us, is that it is preferable to, it is prefer, it's never acceptable to say, oh, I was wrong, you were right, and it's cool, I'm going to change my mind on this. Nope, people will take their wrongness to the grave or people will just say, that's your, we have a difference of opinion. And difference in opinions can exist, but sometimes when you have a difference, one side is right. Not all sides of the story are correct. Both sides is not an actually actively good way to look at the world. If you say, well, both sides have merits. It's like, no, some, one side has better merits than the other more often than not, but it's very rarely a hundred percent merit, which does also mean that you have to keep yourself at bay. If you can demonstrate that you're, you're correct over another individual, you still have to sometimes listen to them and say that I might be completely correct within the context that we're discussing, but they might have more information about another situation, which um, infringes upon my rightness in this situation. Basically, we're in the state of life right now where we're living in black and white, pure binaries. It's either you're right and I'm wrong, or I'm right and you're wrong. And obviously, this doesn't seem to be working for the world around us. Um, and nuance really isn't that difficult to achieve. It's not that hard to say, okay, I'm not sure about the particular, I'm not sure about something. Let me get a greater scope on it. Let me find out more before I'm willing to commit to a particular position 
let me ensure that all given considerations are in place first and then I can assign probabilities. Remember, truth has very little to do with certainties. It's all about probabilities. What is more likely to be true than something else? Very few things are black and white. So let's not treat our politics, our world. Let's not treat our damn reality as if it is. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. If you enjoyed what you heard, you can like us on YouTube, share on your favorite social media, and most importantly, give us feedback. Tell us what you liked, tell us what you didn't like, and tell us what you'd like to hear in future. But above all, give yourself a pat on the back and continue to have interesting conversations.